Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles and open it with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are going to be looking at verses 21 through 26 today. Matthew chapter 5. 21 through 26. As is our habit around these parts, I'm going to read this passage, and then I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. You will reply, thanks be to God. And then I'm going to ask for his help as we jump into his word. All right, so Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask him for help. Father, we trust that you are a God who speaks. You haven't left us alone here to just figure things out, but you've given us your word and your spirit. And so Lord, I pray that your spirit would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can live into what it is you've done for us that you've made us new, and that we would live into that identity that we have. Father, we're going to be talking about the disciplines. And my, oh my, is there so much baggage around discipline. Father, I pray that you would help us to be attentive to your word and that your word would transform us. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're finally there in the Sermon on the Mount. We're finally at that point that everything has been leading up to. We're at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here for about a month, a little over a month. And everything up until this point has been preparation for what's, where we're at now and what's coming. Everything has been leading to this. Jesus has been telling us our identity. He's been working on our hearts. He said the kingdom of God is here. Here's what that does. Here how, here's how you've been reclaimed into this new creation. And now we're ready. He's prepared our hearts. Now we're ready to enter Jesus' school of spiritual formation. No, that's not something from Harry Potter. But Jesus' school of spiritual formation is how Jesus works on us, how he reforms us, how he helps us live into this identity that he's given us, how he helps us work into who we are. See, last week we talked about in the kingdom of God, We're not at all interested in behavior modification. Not at all. That's not Christian spirituality. 
Christian spirituality isn't stop smoking, stop watching R-rated movies, go to church. That's not Christian spirituality. The Victorian manners, as lovely as they are, are not the same thing that Jesus is calling us into today. That's actually a shallow understanding of the human heart. Jesus has said, your righteousness needs to go beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And what he's talking about is there are behaviors. Yes, you do things that are destructive, but the behavior is not the problem. The behavior is fruit of a deeper root, and that root is our heart. Our heart is driving behaviors. And so Jesus is saying this. He's saying we're not just about changing behaviors. Stop doing this. Start doing that. That's not Christian spirituality. Christian spirituality is heart work. How do we work on the heart that's driving our behavior? And that's a very difficult question. How do you change your heart? How, how do we experience heart change? What, how in the world do we do that? We believe it's a really big deal. We truly believe that we need our hearts to be reformed, to be worked on. We have desires, we have fears, we have longings, we have wounds. How do we reform our hearts? See, if your heart, your heart is your spiritual compass, and what it's pointed toward is what you walk toward. And if your compass is off by just a little bit, it can be disastrous. So we all know that 1914 was a year of nautical tragedy. That was when, you know, Kate Winslet wouldn't let Leonardo DiCaprio onto that little piece of board. All right, there was room for two. Come on, Kate. He could have fit. 1914 is when the Titanic sank. But there was actually, as the author James K.A. Smith points out, there was another nautical tragedy that year. Off the coast of Virginia, the steamship Monroe collided with a ship called the Nantucket. And the Monroe sank as a result of it, and 41 sailors lost their lives in the frigid Atlantic waters. And so Congress convened to set a trial to figure out what happened. They said, what, what happened in, in this terrible tragedy? And so they were originally charging the captain of the Monroe. But as the trial started going out, the captain of the other ship, the Nantucket, was um, put on the stand and was cross-examined for five and a half hours. It was just totally grilled. And what came out of that cross-examination was that he had a compass that was off by just a couple of degrees. And as a result, he crashed his ship into that other ship. And so um, just being off by a little bit, his excuse was, look, every captain uses this compass. It's a well-trusted brand. Probably got it at REI. And he's saying, look, this is a good compass. But it hadn't been recalibrated. It hadn't been repointed to things. And so now as Jesus invites us into this school of spiritual formation, he's saying the goal of spiritual formation is to recalibrate our hearts. Sin spins our compass all around. And so what we need to do is we need to do the hard work of working to redirect and refocus our hearts. Sounds easy, right? It's actually really difficult, too, because we have a lot of baggage, us in this room, have a lot of baggage when it comes to this idea of how do we recalibrate our heart. And I'm going to tell you how I think Jesus is laying this out, and it's going to sound so counterintuitive. And I'm going to sound like I've contradicted everything I've said up until this point. But just hang in with me for a second. Here's how Jesus says that we retrain, recalibrate our hearts. 
discipline. We work to refocus our hearts. And see, this is why this is really tricky. Because if you're aiming at something, uh, if you're aiming at the wrong thing, even if you're off by a couple degrees, you can be way off course. And so that's why we need to live in this space that Jesus talks about. Of We're still talking about your righteousness needs to be a different kind of righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees. We're, Jesus is not calling us into trying harder of, hey, don't mess up. That's Christian formation. Be someone who messes up less. That's Christian formation. Jesus actually tells us what he's aiming at in the Sermon on the Mount, but it doesn't come till like after Christmas, but we're just going to cheat a little bit. We're going we're gonna to sneak ahead. At the last verse in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 48, here's what Jesus said where he's trying to help our hearts point toward. And I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to encourage you to cross out a word in your Bible, okay? But I'm not trying, okay, I'm stepping away from the pole for a second. The NIV is a fantastic translation. I have no idea why they did what they're going to do. What I'm going to point out to you, okay? Here's what the NIV translates this as. It says this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the direction of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're headed. That's where Jesus is trying to take us. For some of you, that's super depressing. For most of you. Actually, if, if you heard that, that should be depressing. Be perfect, for whatever reason, I have no idea, the NIV decided to take a very old word, perfect, and put it into a modern context. They're using a very like 1611 understanding of the word perfect. How do we know that? That same word, teleos, is used in James, and when the NIV translates it, it says this, be mature. What in the world? That idea, you hear it even in English, telos, the telos, the end, the goal. Here's what Jesus is saying, be whole. That's what we're working toward. We're not working toward not messing up. We're working toward wholeness. And if you don't see that as we start talking about the disciplines, you're going to be stepping deeper into your wounds. You're going to be stepping deeper into brokenness. The goal of the Sermon on the Mount is not, hey, Christian, stop messing up. The goal of the Sermon on the Mount is, hey, we've been spun around. We've been messed up by sin, but we've been made new. And so sin wants to take this new identity and and just pull us apart and say, hey, go over here, go over there. But what Jesus is trying to do is trying to say, hey, you are this new creation. Live into that. You are new. And that takes discipline. Here's what he's saying. We redirect our hearts through these disciplines he gives us. So we're going to talk about that for a second. We're going to talk about these disciplines because Jesus introduces six of them. We're going to talk about just the, they all have the same kind of pattern except for one. We're going to talk about that for a second. And then we're just going to dip our toes a little bit into the anger one. We're not going to have, there's not enough time to really unpack anger. So we're going to talk about how Jesus applies this idea of discipline to anger. He's saying we can redirect our hearts through disciplines that Jesus gives us. We can retrain our hearts through these disciplines. And now he applies it to anger, saying we can redirect our hearts from anger through this discipline called reconciliation. We can redirect our hearts from anger through a discipline called reconciliation. So in order, let's first talk about all these six things. So in order to do that, though, we need to make a distinction. 
Jesus is calling us to do this. He's saying this. In, in Jesus' school of spiritual formation, he's saying this. Stop trying and start training for spiritual formation. That's the first lesson in Jesus' school of spiritual formation. Stop trying and start training for spiritual formation. I don't know if you know this, but yesterday history was made. Like, re- like actual history, not like, yeah, the Nationals beat the Cardinals. Yeah, take that. Um, not that kind of history. Real, actual, legitimate history is made. Yulid Kipchoge became the first human being ever to run a marathon in less than two hours. That is unbelievable, okay? And there's a YouTube video of these trained runners. They're hobbyists who they they are like, hey, the pace that Kipchoge had to run to do that was 13 miles an hour. And so they try on a treadmill to run 13 miles an hour as long as they can. And these trained runners, can the, the one that gets the longest, he can only run that far for like a minute and a half. Kipchoge did that for 120 minutes. That's amazing, okay? So let's say after church, I'm like, lace up your tennies, grab your water bottle, church. We're going to run a marathon, okay? Most of us would not be able to do that. None of this run walking thing, okay? Like, actually, we're going to run 26.2 miles. We're going to run a marathon. No matter how hard we try, we couldn't do that. And that's the distinction between trying and training. Trying and training. There's like, I was first turned on to this and it was just life changing. Like uh, Jesus is not calling us to try. He's calling us to train and they're worlds apart. So like these six things, Jesus talks about murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, eye for an eye, love for your enemies. He's introducing them as this way of saying, hey, here's the heart issue that's going on. It's not just about murder. Okay. It's about this heart attitude that's going on beneath murder. Here's the, here's what we're really trying to work on. And then in all of these six things, except for one, he introduces a discipline, a habit to train our hearts away from anger, to train our hearts away from lust, away from dishonesty. He's saying that how Jesus spiritually transforms us is through training. And so many of us, we kind of approach the spiritual disciplines like the Pharisees. I'm going to try. I'm just going to try really hard to do this. But they're totally different. Some of the differences between training and trying, I was was reflecting on this this week. Trying requires zero preparation. You are just sitting here minding your own business, then boom, we're running a marathon. You didn't prepare for it at all. Training, though, on the other hand, inherently it is preparation. There's this event coming. We need to prepare. Trying is super random. You go from no effort, boom, to lots of effort. Where training is a rhythm. It says this, hey, this event is coming. I can't prepare all at once. I need to create these rhythms to help me prepare. In trying, when you fail, you have two options. Try harder or give up. Does that describe a lot of your, how you feel about spiritual formations, just, oh, I I had a season of a lot of effort. Oh man, it was hard and I gave up. But in training, in training, what happens when you fail, now we take time to discover what's holding us back. We're, We're working to see, hey, what happened there? How did I respond? What came out of that? What's going on? Trying is hope against the odds. 
I've never run a marathon before. I've never trained for a marathon before. I'm in terrible shape, but I really think I can do it. I can hope against the odds. Where training is actually preparing for bad odds. I live in a broken world. Broken things are going to happen that are going to tempt me to respond in anger. How do I prepare for that? Trying is one size fits all. What you do is you just come to church, I yell at you and say, try harder. (laughs) Training though, training is tailored for you, the participant. See these six disciplines that Jesus talks about? Look, marriage. Jesus himself was single. Some of these are going to apply to you deeply and some of them are, you're just going to be learning from. So like, if you're like me, I grew up, anger was this weapon. It was this tool I had in my toolbox. I got what I wanted by being angry. And so for me, I need to really lean into this discipline and really retrain my heart away from anger because it's just been a habit that I've picked up on. So this training, the Jesus' school of spiritual formation, is not a one-size-fits-all. In trying, there is no growth or expertise required whatsoever. You just got lucky. You tried, you were able to do it. Cool. But in training, we actually grow into maturity, and we even grow into expertise. See, these two things, trying and training, really don't have much in common at all. They're totally worlds apart. The only thing they actually do have in common is that both require lots of effort. Both require lots of effort. And so the question is, how is your effort going to be well spent? Is your effort going to be spent of just trying, being discouraged, giving up, and just being on that treadmill forever? Or are you going to follow Jesus into these rhythms that he's, he's setting up so that it can prepare you to respond with a different heart? See, like, I, I just want to be really careful as I say this. Jesus is not calling you to try harder. That's not Christian spirituality. There's also this, this danger as we talk about discipline and training that comes with this. Um, and it's, maybe you've heard sermons about this. It's a very popular sermon illustration that people give. And I just want to like right out of the bat just say, I'm going to show you all my cards. This is totally unbiblical. All right, maybe you've heard this. Here's how it goes. Once you become a Christian, now you have two dogs inside of you. There's this dog that's your new nature, and there's this dog that's your old nature. And whichever dog you feed is the dog that wins. That idea is wildly unbiblical. You just need to hear me say that. That's not what I'm asking you to do today. That's not what Jesus, how he forms you, is you have these two dogs, feed the right dog. If anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. As, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you do not have two natures. You have one nature. You are new. You may not feel like that every day, but you are new creation. And so as Jesus is picking up on these habits that he's asking us to participate in, what he's doing is he's not helping us be someone we ought to be so that we can get favor. He's helping us live into a reality that he's already transformed within us. He's causing us to live into who we already are. And look, I hate legalism. I really do. I was that kid growing up. I had a mohawk. I had a lip ring. I spent 10th grade in detention. I never liked rules, okay? If you give me a rule, I figure out ways to break it, okay? Jesus here, though, what he's describing is not legalistic. Look, you can look at two people's calendars. 
You can look at someone's calendar, and they've gone to church every day for 30 years. And then or every, every Sunday, not every day. Every Sunday for 30 years, they're super Baptist. And then you can look at someone else's church calendar, and they also went, never missed a Sunday for 30 years. While the heart of one of those is a worship dependence, and it's beautiful, and the heart of the other one is self-righteous. Look at me. Look what I did. You're welcome. Here I am to tell you what's wrong with your church for 30 years. Just because we have a discipline doesn't mean that we're legalistic. The danger, though, is that discipline can pull out what's in our hearts of self-righteousness. And that's, that's where Jesus is talking about here. He's trying to guide our hearts even away from self-righteousness. It's, it's coming later in the sermon. But as he kicks off, he kicks off first with this idea of training for anger. Training for anger. So he's saying this, we're not trying to not be angry. We're not just white-knuckling it. Oh, sometimes I get so mad, I'm not going to be mad anymore. We're actually training for angry moments through this discipline he gives us called reconciliation. We train for angry moments through this discipline of reconciliation. Right out of the bat here, Jesus is not promising you can have a life totally free of anger. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying, though, is that we can... Anger is not just simply an emotion. It's not simply this, this thing that just wells up. We all experience that. Where does that come from, right? Sometimes you just wake up and you just have this anger boiling up in you. Jesus is actually talking about a different type of anger, though. He's talking about an anger that's not merely an emotion, but it's an anger that sets you up on a destructive path. Look at how he describes it in verse 22. He says, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister is subject to judgment. People who say, raka, are answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Here's what he's saying. This is an anger that has at its core this idea of accusations, name-calling, belittling, and see how it keeps getting ratcheted up and up. First, it starts out with just being angry, and then you're totally belittling that person. This is an anger that sets you up on a path that's headed toward destruction. This is the anger that's behind murder. Jesus is saying nobody's murdered someone, like not like accidentally killed someone, but murder. No one has murdered somebody without first their heart going through this process. And when Scripture is saying, you shall not murder, it, the, the command, the wisdom of God underneath it is the heart attitude of this anger here. That I have been wronged, now you must pay. I'm going to belittle you, I'm going to destroy you because you have wronged me. And so when we read this at first, if we're not reading carefully, if we just kind of blow through it, it can sound like a little bit that Jesus is talking about two different things here. He says this, anyone who's angry, there's these really serious consequences, okay? Therefore, if you're offering your altar at temple, you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember somebody has something against you, leave that and go make it right. So it sounds like two different things here. So if I'm mad at someone, that's dangerous, and that leads to destruction, and God takes it very seriously. But also, if there's, if there's a discord over here, go fix it. Jesus actually isn't talking about two separate things here. He's saying, if, here, you're angry. Here's the heart attitude we're, we're worried about. There's danger here. 
therefore, the word therefore is super important, because anger is such a big deal, because we're not seeing it through God's eyes, what you need to do in response to that, therefore, go reconcile. He's saying this, train your heart for those angry moments through this rhythm, this discipline of reconciliation. Go and make that right. What in the world is he talking about? Well, here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. That what we do as followers of Jesus, when we encounter these angry moments, we need to have a rhythm behind that. So in between those moments of anger, there needs to be a moment where we are putting ourselves into the shoes, into the experience of the one we're angry at. Here's what he's saying. You get angry at people. You belittle them. Remember, there's people who are mad at you. This is what incarnational ministry. We're saying, hey, so that when we, we have those moments, that when the anger just boils up, we deal with that by remembering, oh, I have created these rhythms where I go to people who are mad at me and try to make that right. I can now experience, I have experienced, I have been experiencing what this person I'm shouting at is experiencing right now. I have put myself in their shoes. I was in their shoes last week. See, when we talk about grace, being a Christian who's obsessed with grace, who loves grace, that doesn't mean that we deal with these angry moments by just responding like this. Oh, anger, it's not a big deal. I'm not worried about it. Not a big deal. See, there's still an attempt to make things right here. There's still an acknowledgement of saying, hey, wrongs have been suffered. That's still very real. So we don't deal with anger by giving into it. That's destructive. That leads to a path that Jesus is warning us against. But as we head into those moments of anger, we are training our hearts through this rhythm that we have established of being a person of reconciliation. So now when you're mad at someone, you're also someone who has done this effort of going to other people and reconciling. So you know exactly how it feels to be yelled at, to be belittled. This is heart training. It's not just saying don't be mad at them. It's saying live in their experience. Know how they're feeling because you regularly do this. This is not an effort, again, not to ever experience anger. That's not what he's saying. It's a discipline to feel anger and use it to drive the situation toward healing. We can be people of healing. And this doesn't happen overnight. That's what the part of the thing of we're training into this. If you just say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm angry all the time. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, Tomorrow, I'm going to come up with a list of everybody I've ever wronged, and I'm just going to go, and I'm going to have a desk out there, just kind of like Lucy from Peanuts, and I'm going to like, you know, just have hours, and everyone can just be, you know, tell me what I've done to them. It's not all at once, and whew, that was exhausting. I can't handle this. It's a rhythm. It's as things come to mind, oh, you know what? I spoke unkindly to so-and-so. I'm going to go make that right. And as you keep doing that over time, this anger that you feel starts to actually change your impulses. Instead of saying, I've been wronged, look at how you've belittled me, you're able to empathize. When someone is yelling at you, you can say, hey, have they ever experienced someone really entering their life and trying to make things right? 
It changes us, this incarnation. This actually, this discipline, if we take Jesus seriously, it actually helps us, it reminds us of the gospel. That we have offended God, and there was a wrong suffered there, and God was like, hey, don't worry about it. But he went and made it right at great cost to himself. And that's the discipline he's encouraging us to live into. Right wrongs, even at great cost to yourself. So how do we do this? How do we actually, that sounds so daunting, it sounds so exhausting. How do we create these little habits where we lean into reconciliation? See, like, here's my concern, and here's why I think we need to talk about spiritual disciplines. Uh, I, I had this pointed out to me by a pastor um, that when we think about the spiritual disciplines, most of us have a very small toolbox. Most of us, if you think about spiritual disciplines, how do I really form my heart? How do I follow Jesus? Well, I, I can read my Bible, and I can pray. And if I'm super spiritual, I'll fast. And if I'm super spiritual, I'll put that fast on Instagram. <laughs> and that's like, if, so if you're really lucky, you've got like four spiritual disciplines. But what Jesus is calling into, he's putting more tools in our toolboxes, more rhythms that we can add to our day to our spiritual life, so that that can help redirect our hearts. See, and we're constantly, the ri- we have rhythms. The rhythms that we constantly have and do are shaping us, okay? So like, the reason, you wake up, and the first thing that you reach for is your phone to check your email. That's a habit that you develop. It's a rhythm, and it's shaping you. I don't know how it's shaping you, but it is shaping you. And so Jesus is saying, hey, Develop this rhythm of reconciliation to shape you away from anger. Here's what he's saying. Here's like the first habit I think that we can get into to reshape our hearts. And it's that, it comes from verse 23. It's that idea of learning to listen. Look at the situation. He says, if, Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled, then come back. See, how, how, like, how often should we practice reconciliation? How often should we do this? Here's, here's what Jesus describes. A person who is doing something else and it comes to mind. Didn't overthink it, just it came to mind and said, I need to make this right. We need to learn to listen to our conscience and the Spirit of God that dwells in us. That's a really hard discipline of like, okay, I, I really feel that God is leaning, leading me and pushing me toward making reconciliation. And then maybe you have this other voice of like, no, nah, that's probably just your guilty conscience. It's legalism. We don't, you know, just avoid that. How do you actually learn to listen to your conscience and to God's spirit as you're being led to make reconciliation? Well, this is in Jesus' school of spiritual formation. There's no cliff notes, all right? Like I can't do it and then tell you how to do it. You only learn by experience. And we have to learn to listen to God. Learn to listen. Your conscience is an amazing gift. You, like the Spirit of God, rests in you. Don't underestimate that. God has made his home inside you. How do you lean into who he's calling you to be? Don't ignore that. Learn to listen to it. The second way I think it's really important of how we, these habits of reconciliation, don't say, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to start training my heart away from anger. I've struggled with anger. I'm going to train away. I'm going to just go through my phone and text everybody that I have offended. 
Please don't do that, okay? Reconcile in person. Reconcile in person. There's a great bit uh, by these two comedians, Key and Peel, and one is mad at the other one. And so he starts texting, and the other one is receiving it as like, oh, this is great. Every, our relationship is awesome. And so he, he's, one's getting more excited, while one is getting more and more offended. And by the time they're finally ready to meet, one has a bat and is ready to hurt the other one. And the other one's like, what? Don't stir up a need to reconcile by doing it over text, okay? Miscommunications abound over email, over text. Go in person. Another thing. Don't reconcile if the person that you're reconciling to has no idea there's a need for reconciliation, okay? So here's what that could look like. Person A is talking to person B. Person A makes an off-the-cuff comment, says something, and it just rubs person B the wrong way. Just like, oh, I can't believe you said that. And so they're just, they go home and they stew all night, and they're like, oh, I hate person A. And then they come to their senses and they're convicted. Oh, man, that was awful. Person B should not call person A and said, you wouldn't believe the thoughts I had about you. You need to forgive me. Okay, do not stir up a need to reconcile with the trying to have a discipline of reconciliation. Now, I'm not saying if you stole from somebody and they don't know it was you, oh, I don't have to reconcile. (laughs) Not saying that. But I'm saying like, as we build this rhythm, don't do it where you don't need to. Like for, for some of us, as anger has been a problem, and if we have a, a habit of lashing out more people, we're going to need to lean into this a lot more. But for most of you Midwest introverts, you're fine. Like nobody, you, you just have lived your whole life bitter at people, and they don't know you're bitter at them. <laughs> you don't need to lean into that. Reconciliation is going to look differently for you. Remember, this is training, not trying. It's a tailored-made approach for you. But I want you to hear the other thing. Jesus makes this a tremendous priority, okay? So this, he's talking about if you bring your gift to the altar, all right, we don't have altars and we don't bring gifts. And this is talking about a temple setting. And so most likely that gift being brought to the temple is an animal, okay? And just like every church has that church lady, you know, that person that's like, hey, who put this here? Why is this here? We, we, what are we, born and raised in a barn? Let's clean things up here. Just like every church has that. I'm sure every temple had that temple lady, all right? This is a mess. Who left a wild animal here? What are we doing? Oh, my goodness. Why can't we worship God orderly? And Jesus is saying, you know what matters to me more than an orderly worship service? Reconciliation. Relationships. Bringing wholeness back to things. Look, as a church, we can nail a budget, all right? I've sat in a lot of budget meetings. We're very good at budgeting, okay? How are we doing about relationships? Are there parts of the room where one person sits over here, one person sits over there, and never shall the two cross? I think God doesn't care about our budgeting as much as he cares about our ability to bring wholeness, to forgive. That's a tall order. Reconciliation is hard. It's not easy. It's not like, well, okay, I, you know, I, I tried it, uh, you know, the person hurt me, uh, I just don't want to deal with it. It's hard to go to someone and say, hey, I, I wronged you. You have something against me. I want to hear it. I want to make it right. That's hard work. 
It's way easier to be like, ah, these people are so sensitive. I mean, nobody really gets me. I'm just, you know, uh, yeah, there's a wake of destruction behind me, but, you know, it's just me being me. It's way more difficult to enter somebody's world and say, what can I do to make this right? And that's why I really think, I really believe that's why Jesus says, do not judge. Okay, Charles Barkley's favorite verse. Do not judge lest you be judged. Why does Jesus say that? Because look, we only get to see a small sliver of each other's lives. I don't get to see your heart. I can't see what God is doing in and to you as he's working on you, as he's training you. I just get to see a very small sliver. And so judging says, hey, I see that sliver and I know the whole person. Here's the mess. But if we really are going to be a church where we're training together, this is a high and hard call. And if we're going around judging each other, well, they didn't say that the way I would have, I would have liked that. They're totally off, lost in the woods. If we're going to be a church that's just, we can't judge each other, I think that's what grace looks like, assuming the best. Like just even the way we correct each other can really do a lot to mitigate so many of these angry moments. Oftentimes when we make these statements of saying, you always, sometimes those should be questions. That's why I really think we, I have a hard enough time knowing my own heart. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have a master's degree in understanding your heart. That's where this whole idea of not judging comes into. We are people who are training, we're being formed by Jesus, and we're going to believe the best about Jesus, about each other, and Jesus, that's why I think that's like that's what's so important is like as we are working toward heart change, we have to remember that this isn't easy. This is a high calling. Look, the identity that Jesus has given us is amazing. Like you really need to know Jesus in you is unbelievable. And so yes, this is difficult. This is a hard rhythm to build into your lives. But you're not doing it to earn anything. It's something that's already happened, that's already been done for you. And just like I couldn't run a marathon this afternoon, I have to train for it, I have to prepare for it, that you will experience growth in this process. You will change, and you may not even be aware of it. Like, so when Amy and I first got married, I worked at a bank. And for whatever reason, people would bring donuts all the time into this bank. And so I ate donuts all the time. And as you eat, the more donuts you eat, the more you balloon up a little bit. And so I said, you know what? I really want to lose weight. I want to get into good shape. So what do I do? I made this drink, a kale and mango smoothie, and I drank it every day for lunch. Do you know how a kale mango smoothie tastes after you've lived on a diet of donuts? (laughs) Yeah, it tastes like what you think. It tastes like kale and it tastes like mango. It's not delicious. (laughs) But after months of just drinking this thing, my palates changed. Discipline is hard, and that's why we need other people in our lives. Because people can see and have a clarity that we don't. Some of you in this room are harder on yourselves than God is on you. Some of you in this room here, be perfect. Okay, I'm on it. I will be perfect. I got this. 
when we just cloister ourselves off from other people, we can move deeper into brokenness, deeper into wounds, because we don't have the vantage point other people have on our lives. But if we're around people, people can say, hey, I don't know what it is, but you're way less angry. That's so cool. We can celebrate grace and evidence of grace in each other's lives. This is a tall order, but we can do it because of who we are. We can change because we've been changed. And remember, we are not running a marathon after church. We're training. We're training for those angry moments. We're going to mess up. We are. We're going to fail. We're going to stumble. We're going to falter. But that's training. And we can encourage each other and we can walk together toward wholeness. We can do it together when we stop trying. When we stop, when we, Pharisees try, disciples of Jesus train. And those are worlds apart. Some of you just need to let that inner Pharisee just out to pasture. And we can do that together by his grace. Let's pray. Father, as imperfect as I am, I pray that your word was clear. Father, I pray that we really would learn spiritual formation from your son, that these disciplines and these habits really do shape us. And you are inviting us into a space where you are working on our hearts and pointing us back to you. Father, thank you for the gift of grace that this makes all this possible. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.